0: ora,
1: earlier I asked you for memories of that 1981 Springbok tour. I was 11, writes one person, and I went to Lancaster Park for the first test with my dad. He thought it would be the last time I would see them in New Zealand. I remember being spat on by protesters as we walked in. A few years later, I probably would have been one of the protesters, but I'd never forget being spat on. That's something I'd never do. No matter how strongly I felt, that person should be ashamed of himself. It seemed that people totally lost all control. Uh, I remember a good Kiwi bloke and dear friend told me his Springbok tour story. He was working at the weather station where there happened to be a TV transmitter. He and his colleagues were informed that they'd be escorted to work by the police over the period to be protected from any protesters or violence. Uh, so he and his colleagues took the opportunity to put a positive spin on the occasion by hiring tuxedos, top hats and canes to dress the part of being VIPs. Thanks, Suze. The biggest thing I remember from the 1983, uh, 1981 tour and I was a teenager, was the difference in opinion of our people, and it clearly highlighted that many aspects of New Zealand were racist. Remembering the things people said to me at the time, not realising that I was of Maori lineage because I'm fair. It was scary and crazy. The streets weren't safe. And the other thing I'll never forget is the flower bomb that hit Gary Knight from a plane flying over Eden Park, says Craig. And Sue remembers being on a peace march from the Oval to the Octagon in Dunedin. As we climbed the stairs to St Paul's Cathedral, every one of us was individually photographed. Without anyone asking permission, was it the police or SIS, we never found out. Well, one person who remembers that tour well is Keith Quinn, and on our New Zealand Sporting History segment today, which we've been running for a year and a half, finally we get to the biggest moment in our sporting history, arguably the 1981 Springbok Tour. Uh, New Zealand continued to play rugby against South Africa through the years of apartheid and toured over there with a white only team. And then in 1981, the Springbok team were invited to New Zealand. Keith Quinn was TVNZ rugby commentator for the tour. Uh, He put aside his anti-tour political views in order to do his job, first and foremost, as a commentator. And Keith has generously offered some of his Thursday afternoon to us to remember this significant piece of New Zealand history. Hi there, Keith. Go Jesse. How good to talk to you. And thank you. How nice to have you on the show today. Um, it's really tempting to look at 1981 through the lens of 2023. Can, can you take us back there and what was the attitude towards? Apartheid South Africa in New Zealand in 1981, and whether that tour should go ahead.
0: Well, if you go back a few years before that, in the 1970s, I went on the 1976 tour to South Africa, and uh, some of the um, the news media colleagues who went on a very big contention, a very big contingent of New Zealand news media, uh, they were pro tour, very pro tour. And kind of couldn't see the apartheid that was happening in front of them, in in their hotels, in the in the workers, uh, and the fact that everybody was of colour was going home to their homes by something like 8 p.m. at night to live in their own separate suburb. And I, I saw this, and uh, there were no, uh, there was a one special game against uh, coloured people. And I thought, this is wrong because I was playing for a football club back here in Wellington and I couldn't have played with my mates who were Maori uh, and Pacifica back here in New Zealand at the time. And I thought, well, I don't like this at all. It's wrong. And so when the Springbok tour of New Zealand was mooted in uh, in uh, 1981, um, the division in New Zealand was, uh, was incredible. Some people still thought that uh, we should be playing against the Springboks, the mighty Springboks. Pushing in the scrums doesn't matter if they're all white players, mm-hmm. or we should not be. And uh, so uh, attitudes were attitudes were changing around about 1981, but still I felt that they shouldn't. Uh, the Springboks shouldn't come. They weren't quite. Back at full uh, normal time, and in fact they weren't until Nelson Mandela really came out yeah. uh, eleven years after that. So, so you had a decision to make, is that right? Yeah, TBN said, were. Well, I thought when I think back now, we're well, very good. They realised that the the debate was going on around the country in every household as to whether they were pro people were pro or were anti the tour, and so they said to their staff because they could hear the debates going on amongst their staff. If you don't want to work on the Springbok tour, you don't have to. Uh, you can be assigned to uh, uh, other duties, other sports, other news, uh, other editing, you know, sound work, yeah. camera work, etc., etc. So I decided to uh, go on uh, the commentary. Continue. I, I had a, a commentary profile, and so I continued that. But I said to the bosses, uh, I don't. Want to do anything else but commentate on the games? I don't want to meet any springboks. I don't want to interview any springboks. I don't want to do backgrounders or newscasts. And that—that that sounds a bit big-headed today, I'm afraid. But they allowed that to happen because they were they—they they were very good with their staff yeah. uh, over that particular uh, situation. Do you, do you feel and like everybody? You made,
1: did you feel like you made the right decision looking back at it uh, over the years? I,
0: I, I think, so, I think so from my perspective, I guess, but uh, because uh, I went to all the games, I saw the games, I can give you opinions on the games and the background to the tour now. Uh, and at the time, um, there were two decisions for me to make, and I made the one, which meant I just did the games. I didn't do anything else. It was quite a difficult time for everybody in television and in the media, because we had uh, people were spitting at us too, uh, pro or against. If huh. TVNZ had announced the Springbok team for the first test or the All Black team for the first test, protesters were saying you know obviously pro tour. And if we showed the protesters uh, marching up uh, Queen Street or down Colombo Street in Christchurch, uh, then we were obviously. Uh, on the other side of the debate. So we got it from all directions. Yeah. Uh, and that was, it was a very difficult time to come through. So um, I, I had my decision to make and, and made it.
1: Were you at that first match against Poverty Bay in Gisborne?
0: Yeah, see, right, right from the very start, Jesse, <clears throat> there was something happened at every game. Uh, at the at the first game in Gisborne, there was glass thrown out of a small uh, truck um, be- the night before the game on a Friday night at dusk. I was there with a, a news guy. We were just setting, uh, taking our cameras back to the city. We'd filmed the, the empty ground and, and his line was going to be. And so tomorrow on this empty field, the tour will start. And then this car came roaring through and threw glass all over the field. By the time the game kicked off the next day, The glass had been carefully picked up by rugby uh, officials. But I could see from the top of the grandstand the whole protest coming down the the golf course behind the ground. So that was game one. Mm. Game two was the one at Hamilton where the protest was so – they pulled the fence down and charged the field. And so the game had to be abandoned even before kickoff. I've actually got a little clip –
1: sorry, Keith. Uh, I've got a little clip from Poverty Bay just to take people back. Uh, We've got Mariana Pittman describing the scene here. Here it is.
0: We'd get to the top of the fence and they would beat us and kick us and throw us down the bank and we'd get up and we'd go up again. And it didn't work that weekend, that time, but the following weekend in Hamilton it did because we were much better planned.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's the recollections of a lot of people um, getting in touch on texts, Keith. That it actually, although the protesters went to disrupt the games, it was often the protesters who were being protected by the police from the supporters who showed up who, who really outnumbered them.
0: I, I remember Wilson Winneray, who was a former All Black captain, saying. Uh, he admired the police so much at the end of the tour because they were always going to be the meat in the sandwich. That was his quote, meat in the sandwich, um, because they were getting it too from from both sides. Uh, there was another game that was abandoned. That was in Timaru, just abandoned a couple of days before the game. But there were protests at various stages, building through the tour at a man or two in uh, Taranaki, we saw barbed wire inside the ground at the test match in Christchurch. The TV coverage went from uh, the side where the the sunlight was behind the cameras across to the main grandstand and shot into the sun, which is against every camera principle mm-hmm. uh, and there was barbed wire inside the ground. There were rows and rows of policemen, as I recall uh, and in the shots. Of the rugby action, you can see rows of policemen. And there's a very funny shot of a policeman turning his head and looking at the. Since the try has been scored, Uh, (laughs) and, uh, and so on. Every game had protests in the town where the Springboks were playing. But more than that, there were protests at other towns too. If there was a game being played in Christchurch, for instance, there were protesters marching down the streets of Wellington. And, and so, so the police were stretched in all directions all over the country. It was a really trying time. And that was the rugby action and the police action. And in, in every household, there were divisions in in. Yeah. households one of the very prominent all black players uh, his wife was totally against the tour and had nothing to do with uh, with uh, uh, his performance as a player et cetera et cetera and uh, so there was division on the tour um in in households too so it was it was something that New Zealand had really never struck before at that level
1: yeah um let's take a moment to talk about the rugby were south africa the springboks at the top of their game
0: yes they were but they weren't looking back with the advantage of hindsight they weren't a great springbok team they they uh, had not been playing a lot of international rugby at that time they were still remember uh, south africa were out of all sports they were out of the olympic games uh, out of worlds, a lot of sports uh, right through the um, the 70s, uh, and uh, New Zealand were one of the rare countries that played with them. I went to the Olympics in Montreal, mm. and the night before the opening ceremony, 29 countries, I think it was, boycotted the Olympic yeah. Games from Africa because New Zealand were touring South Africa at rugby at that time. So uh, it was a worldwide um, protest about apartheid. And South uh, TV was just starting up in South Africa at the time. And so South Africa, I can remember when I got there in 1976, after being at the uh, Olympic Games, the main TV show of the evening was Bonanza. I, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. This uh, old, old uh, Western series. But slowly... Uh, South Africans, uh, via TV, saw more and more how the world was treating or or thought their apartheid system and the racial division that the laws of the country uh, divided them with was abhorrent and slowly it evolved. And so I think uh, the arrival of TV and maybe the Mm. playing of sports helped to make the change which happened after Mandela came out, and the All Blacks went back to play one test against the Springboks the year he came out of jail, after 27 years.
1: What was the security like for you as a broadcaster?
0: Interesting, very interesting. We didn't have any at the start. I travelled with the crew and co-commentator Graham Thorne, and we we had nothing. But then after about three games, uh, we noticed that there was a big guy close by us at all times and he eventually we we met him and we appreciated that he was um he was looking after us just the two of us so if we went uh, across the street to a restaurant he would come in and take a, another table or a place in the restaurant uh, if we went to have a drink in the bar he'd be there uh, he, he was a, a big guy never seen him since uh, and uh, he was out of, he he wasn't police he was out of the SAS and um and he kind of looked after us. But a couple of weeks after the tour, a guy came up to me in a, in a, in a pub. Sounds like all my stories <laughs> came out of pubs, yeah. Jesse. But a guy came up to me in the uh, pub and he said, how do you feel now the Springboks have gone? I said, so here we go. Another question about the Springboks tour. Yeah. I said, well, I suppose like a lot of people, I'm relieved. He said, well, you should be because I was in a part of a group that was planning to kidnap you and Thorne before the third and final test Come so on. that you didn't – we didn't uh commentate and that your telecast would be disrupted well of course they would have found some other commentators but uh that happened to winston mccarthy uh with a uh in the previous generation of radio broadcasting uh years and years earlier uh on a on a springboard tour it, it, did, it didn't quite happen but it was mooted by really? some people yeah so that yeah, would have given you a bit of a of, bit of a fright, I imagine. Well, it was, it was certainly something to think about. There was the, the discussions and the division was such that I, another thing I've just thought about is I used to get into taxis. Now I'm quite, I think I'm quite a genial bloke. I'd get in the front of the taxi and talk about the scrums and the lineouts and who won between Auckland and Wellington and Waikato um, and so on and so on. Uh, but on the Springbok tour, I would get in and sit behind the taxi driver. So that there was no chance of me speaking, giving my view on something, and he would come up with a complete opposite viewpoint, and then the tension is uh, there for the ride home. So I I sat behind the driver's So that was a, a tiny little thing uh, that uh, that affected uh, me. So tiny, uh, tiny little things now become memories all these years later.
1: Yeah. Um. What about the players? Because I know that, you know, through the 70s, commentators and broadcasting teams used to travel really as part of the tour party. Um, so I imagine you had pretty close relationships with the players. What was it like? What was their attitude towards you and the media? How was that kind of relationship?
0: Well, <clears throat> we were we were kind of discovered as whether we were pro-tour or anti-tour along the way. I remember um, a very prominent writer still going, just had a book published about Billy Bush, was Phil Gifford. Yes. Now, Phil Gifford's uh, view uh, and my view were both anti-tour. And Phil remarked to me one day on the tour, he said, you know, that uh, a prominent member of the New Zealand Rugby Union made a speech at a a rugby club in um, Pukekohe, somewhere close to that, uh, not so long ago, and called us both enemies of rugby because uh, word had got about that we were, we would have preferred it if the Springboks hadn't have come to New Zealand. So we were tagged enemies of rugby. And a woman in, in Dunedin who was married to one of the Otago rugby officials, she, I knew her quite well, she came up to me and she said, I'll never speak to you again. And I thought, oh well, well, I don't know whether that's going to be significant uh, in my life, but she never did. So uh, (laughs) a lot of things like that went on around the Springbok tour. The players were funny. Some of them were were good and genial and and just like they always were, either grouchy or good or whatever. Andy Hayden was a lovely guy, really. Uh, Andy Hayden became my manager when I did some commercial work after him. Uh, my sort of broadcasting career was over and he became the great entrepreneur that he uh, was wasn't in, in business. But when he, one day when he was, and I got on really well with Andy yeah. over there, of course, but one day on the Springbok tour, when we all went out to McAllister Park in Wellington to watch the Springboks, pra- the All Blacks practice, there they were running up and down on a muddy field at McAllister Park. And suddenly there was Andy Hayden throwing mud pies at the media, one of them hit, hit me on the shoulder, and I looked up and thought, "What's going on here?" And there was Andy standing there saying, "Go on, clear off, you guys, you, clear off, you," uh, and worse. Gosh. Uh, and so uh, those sort of things happened. From some of the players, some of them didn't mind at all. It's um, but that yeah. was that's what I
1: recall now. Okay, I am looking through the results. Back in those days, of course, the touring team would play all the re- well, a lot of the regional sides. Um, yeah. South Africa won all those games, as you might expect. Although one is sticking out to me, and I don't remember hearing anyone talk about this, but it must have been a pretty significant uh, significant game. Twenty fifth of August in Napier, Springboks versus New Zealand Māori. Do you remember that game?
0: Yes, I do. It was very interesting because it was a 12-all draw. Yeah. You're right. The the, Springboks beat all the provinces around New Zealand, uh, but this was a 12-all draw. One of the Springboks, a guy called Colin Beck, got the ball quite a long way out. I was commentating on the game, and he let fly with a drop kick, a drop goal attempt, and it the goalposts at rugby, uh, McLean Park and Napier weren't very high and so there's a bit of a discussion as the ball went high in the air whether it had gone over but the referee ran forward and he signalled uh, it's over and the, some of the crowd said, no, that's not, that didn't go over, that didn't go over <laughs> and the, the, the whistle went and the game ended 12 Um So everybody was wondering whether that goal counted and affected the, the New Zealand Maori team scoring a win. But as 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 uh, the people left the ground, one guy came rushing up to me and said, that didn't give over. I said, oh, how come? How do you know? You were sitting here in the halfway line. You wouldn't have seen the the angle from behind the posts. He said, no, I, I, as we were all leaving... Colin Meads was in front of me, and I said, "Hey, hey, Pine Tree, do you think the kick went over?" And Pine Tree said, "No, nah, that didn't go over." So it, if Pine Tree says it didn't go over, <laughs> it didn't go over. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's <that's> gospel. Okay, <laughs> that's tell me, right. It's gospel. T- 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 tell me about the tests because they were a bit closer. Well, in fact, they went the other way. Um, New Zealand won the first one, right?
0: Yeah, the first one was played in Christchurch and in front of the, all the police with their back to the game. Because if they'd turned their head and watched the game, a few guys might have been arrested for assault. Mm. There was a fiery game. There was a couple of big dust-ups. Uh, because uh, that's, that sort of thing happened in rugby in those days. The uh, Fighting sort of happened. You've got to remember, too, the Springboks had to sleep away from hotels because of security. So they had slept the night in the... Linwood rugby club uh, and the non-players there was no room for the whole of the 30-man party they um, the non-players were billeted in people's rugby fans homes but the game was really feisty games tough game uh, and a big crowd of and uh, and the TV coverage looking into the sunset at a uh, beautiful, lovely sunset at Christchurch. So some of the mm. coverage has got these long, long shadows across the field, but the, yeah. that's the one the All Blacks won. But the Springboks were upset because they made a mistake there. Their, their captain, they had some internal ructions in their team, I think, because their captain was a guy called Vaynant Klassen. And Vendant was Klassen was deemed to be a sort of a... Uh, uh, a more relaxed character. He came from Durban, and he wasn't such a steep, died-in-the-wool Afrikaner, and so they didn't play him in the first test. Uh, so they, made, they then deemed that to be a mistake, and they put him in the second test, and they made eight changes from the team which lost the first test and might have lost a fight uh, in the first test as well when they came to Wellington. And The Wellington game was more like an old fashioned springbok uh-huh. uh, All Blacks test. There were nine penalty goals kicked uh, uh, Jesse five by Nas Buta, who New Zealanders nicknamed nasty booter uh-huh. uh, and then uh, uh, Alan Houston, who was the good guy oh, like, yeah. he, got, he got he got four and uh, however, the only try in the game was scored uh, by one of the springboks. And here comes some pronunciation, mate. <laughs> he scored the try. He scored the try, and they they won quite well on the scoreboard by twenty four yeah. to twelve. Uh, the Springboks team had slept in the uh, um, after match function uh, room at Athletic Park for the second test. And Then, when they went to Auckland for the third test, the protest was really getting fired up in Auckland because the Springboks were leaving the next day. And, the, and, of course, most importantly, everybody knew that with one test each, you had to win the game to win the series. Mm. Uh, that was uh, that was most important as well. Um, and it was a really dramatic game because a, a, a protest plane started to fly over the ground. I've now, got a little um, clip of that.
1: Sorry, Keith, I've got a little uh, clip of that. Let's take a few seconds of that.
0: station there is a light plane circling the ground and dipping in low and dropping things into the crowd. And you can see the flower bombs are landing very close to the action there.
1: Gosh, that's your voice. <laughs> yes, yes, How it is.
0: Cool. Um uh, well, it Well, made about. Some people are saying it made about sixty passes over Eden Park from the. Now I remember not the number that's of chaos, times. That's chaos, eh? But,
1: that's chaos yeah. the idea of a light I, plane f- flying like that I, remember,
0: that I remember I remember I remember that uh, and from my own personal point of view it was so low that it was below the level of the top of the grandstand where I was commentating oh, uh, on a little in a little um, room uh, on top of the grandstand so it was really dangerous and at one stage it was so low that people in the crowd threw cans of beer <sighs> up in protest to try to Hit it! Now imagine if it hit, it it, uh, it would have crashed into the crowd. Perhaps that would have been real chaos. And then the police made an announcement on the PA system: "Please don't throw cans or objects at the plane, because a full can of beer thrown in the air, Jesse, we all understand, has to come down." Mm. And there were fifty thousand people at Eaton Park, so there were a number of people who were injured. By these beer cans coming down and hitting them and and injuring them, so it was. Uh, some of the protests, um, flower bombs hit the ground. One of them hit a player, uh, Gary Knight. He was stunned, but in true All Black tradition, he got up and yeah. played on. <laughs> of and um, he was covered in white flower, uh, and um, he played on. Really dramatic game.
1: Were you terrified?
0: We... Yes. Yes, I, th- I think it's fair to say. At the end of the game, I used to like to tap all my players neatly, uh, all my pages of stuff neatly, and put it into my briefcase. But when I got back to the hotel that night, I realised that I just jammed them in, and was a sign of, I just want to get off that top of that grandstand as fast as possible. I actually felt that the the guy in the plane, he I didn't know him. Nobody knew him. Was he going to? take out the coverage was he uh already the south african coverage had been cut through the wires had been cut through up at walkworth so they were not getting any tv coverage and so i thought well I, we've got to get off here real quick because uh, who knows what might happen would they perhaps take out the commentary box and that would take out the world yeah. coverage and uh, that would therefore take me out as well so i got off there as as quick as I could, and uh, in the end, um, it, the Springboks were New Zealand led. They they said that the Springboks played into the plane flight in the first half, so they fell behind the All Blacks. Doug Rollison, one of the players, said, "We played quite well in the first half because the plane was behind us. We didn't see it coming, <laughs> and uh, so in the second half they." they played with the plane coming at them and the Springboks leveled the score at 22 all right into injury time and the referee Clive Norling from Wales gave a penalty to New Zealand little Mark Donaldson who I see quite regularly uh, up at the beach he, um, he had t- t- tapped the ball and ran forward and was tackled before the Springboks went back 10 metres I can see this in my mind's yeah. eye so vividly now and so Alan Houston stepped forward to kick the goal of his life to see if he could get it over to give New Zealand the win. He did just that. Twenty-five to twenty-two to New Zealand, and New Zealand won the series. And everybody went home. Nobody went home really satis- satisfied or happy. They were just they were just pleased. And in my case, pleased. it royal was all over. I got flew home the next morning and flopped down and so said, I never want to see this game again. It's been a hell uh four or five weeks. One of my mates rang up and said, Hey, there's a good game in at Eden at Athletic Park today in Wellington. Wellington's playing man too. All those all blacks are playing. Donaldson and Stu Wilson and Bernie Fraser and Jeff Old, they're all they're all going to play. They must have come down on the train. So I went to the a game, 35,000 people went to the rep game at Athletic Park and it was a cracking game and putting it in a funny way, we all fell in love with rugby all over again.
1: Keith Quinn, you've been a big part of our love affair with rugby. Thank you for your service to the game. Thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it.
0: Thank you very much, Jesse. Keith Quinn,
1: remembering the 1981 Springbok Tour and his part in it.